today on The Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. We continue to hone in on what happened, uh, the horrendous events on uh, Sunday night in Toronto. And uh, kudos to this organization for already opening up a 24-7 bilingual crisis support hotline to help anybody affected by the uh, events of Sunday night in Greektown in Toronto. And joining us to uh, talk about that is uh, the Employment Support Solutions Vice President at Morneau Chappelle, uh, she joins us on the line. Barb Vetter joins us. Barb, first of all, thank you for joining us. How are you? Uh, you're most welcome. Uh, I'm I'm okay. Pleased to be here and happy to um, you know offer your listeners some information about how they can manage this very difficult uh, situation. I is it fair to say, Barb, right off the top, that maybe when people call you uh, and uh, speak to your your associates, that the first question that you would get asked is why does something like this happen? I, I, it's not uncommon. Certainly people, uh, the two questions that come to mind are, why did this happen and what can we do? Um, the why is a more complicated uh, question. Of course, you know, all of us are grappling with that. And, and certainly as a, as a large community, the mayor, the police, the mental health support services are all, you know, struggling with, you know, why did this happen? But more importantly, what can we do um, to support each other? And what can, we, what can people do as individuals and what can we do as a community to support each other is, is where we like to focus. Now, you look at what's been happening, and, and it's almost overwhelming for people who live in the Toronto area. It's been, if you will, thrust into the international spotlight and not for a good reason. Three months ago, of course, we had the uh, the horrific van attack that killed 10 people and injured a dozen more. Also, worldwide attention for the high-profile murders. Uh, there was a story last year of the uh, couple, Barry and Honey Sherman, the arrest of alleged serial killer Bruce MacArthur. Uh, there's been a lot of shootings in Toronto, the entertainment district, uh, the playground where two young sisters were wounded. It's put gun violence in the spotlight. Is is it fair to say that maybe that's a little bit of a, not necessarily a good thing, but a positive that can be taken from this, that maybe now the conversations will start? Well, I think we're all struggling to say, how do we take something that's so devastating and so awful and impactful in our community and figure out where do we go from here? And certainly you know, trying to get our arms around these events and understand them in a, in a, from a preventative uh, point of view is what we can do. So, you know, at a high level, I'll say, you know, uh, we are deeply sad and our organization is deeply impacted like the rest of the, the city and the country. Um, and anything we can do to support each other and to think about how to prevent these things is the right thing to do. Now, you, we should mention that uh, this uh, toll-free line that you are offering is anybody that is affected, they don't, do, your, their employer does not have to have an EA program with Morneau Chappelle. This is open to anybody, correct? Right. So our organization, Morneau Chappelle, is an employee and family assistance program. And uh, many organizations across the country we provide service to. But in a situation that has had such a com large community impact, this is one way in which we can extend our support beyond our customers. So we open up our helpline, and it is 
of course, open to our, our employees and the family and their family members. But in this crisis, we open up our crisis support line for anyone in the community that is needing uh, some additional support over the phone. Uh, and our I, crisis support, just to highlight, our crisis support line is open 24-7. Um, have you had the uh, chance yet to do any uh, research or talking to people? Has there been an, an, an uptick in your uh, in your in your toll free line offering advice since this has happened? So this is not the first time that we've offered this type of support to the community, and we actually the first time we did this sort of opening up of our lines for crisis support was a couple of years ago in Fort McMurray. And certainly, you know, in some of the, in the van attack in North York, we was another opportunity where we opened up our lines. So what we know is that uh, people over the next few days will likely call us. The volume is spread over a couple of days and likely a couple of weeks as people sort of try to grapple with their own reactions. And uh, so we receive certainly calls and we receive them uh, over the next couple of days, typically. Did, you know, um, so. did uh, you get uh, a lot of phone calls after the Humboldt tragedy as well? Because that was something that everybody was grappling with trying to make sense of that tragedy. Yeah, certainly our call volume goes up, and, and that was uh, another example of us opening up our, our crisis line. So we receive, you know, certainly more calls. I have to say in these events, uh, in these sort of large community uh, events, uh, tragic events, our employees really want to open these lines. They, they feel compelled to support the community, and this is something as an organization everybody feels that they want to get behind. And so, you know, we have the ability to increase our resources and to accommodate these types of um, calls and to support the community with our crisis line. Now, we should mention, by the way, and we'll mention this a few times, that free crisis support line for anybody is 1-844-751-2133. Again, 1-844-751-2133. Our guest uh, is the Vice President of Employee Support Solutions at Morneau Chappelle Barb Better, talking about the uh, crisis, uh, bilingual crisis hotline, given the events of Toronto. Barb, when we uh, sit down and, and kind of think about... Um, what is what's going through people's minds? Um, is it a, a fair question to say to ask that down the road, if people do not deal with this now, if they think they have a problem, this could down the road uh, maybe lead to things like PTSD. And we're not asking you to put on your medical hat here, but is that something that could happen down the road? Well, um, certainly. What we want to encourage the public and uh, is to think a bit about how they are responding to this event or, you know, the other events that they've been exposed to at this sort of traumatic level. Uh, we encourage people to seek support and to seek support both from their family and their friends and, you know, in, in many different ways. But the more that people can sort of come together and support each other the earlier, you know, at, 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 as early as possible, the more likely they're able to sort of get back into the, their usual routine. Getting back into your usual routine helps you cope. 
Um, so, you know, everyone's reaction, everyone's experience, everyone's exposure is very unique. But overall, we want to encourage people to take an opportunity to, to sort of center themselves and think about what they need to do to, to manage uh, and cope with this uh, terrible event. And we should say that, that that's not being selfish of somebody to actually sit down and, and try to focus on themselves, is it? Not at all. It, it's important that we take care of ourselves, and it's important to look at ways to reduce uh, the impact. To be, um, This is not selfish. Taking care of ourselves allows us to take care of our families and our friends and, you know, resume sort of the things that that help us uh, and our community. Yet, uh, one of the things that did happen, and it seems it happens every time that there's a tragedy, we heard about so many stories of people opening up their stores to help the injured and people, total strangers, helping each other when something like this happened. Uh, In some ways, and again, this is a terrible tragedy, but I guess the question is, why does it take a tragedy for everybody to start treating everybody with a little more respect and uh, sincerity than maybe they would in the past? Well, I think what, it, what a, a traumatic event does, it brings to the forefront our natural responses. Our, it, it heightens our sensitivity and brings uh, to the forefront our awareness. And so, you know, that's, I think, what happens to us as a community. There's sort of the immediate reaction, you know, our fight, our, our flight, our, you know, our, our reaction to the event and, you know, and then there's the the aftermath of of how we cope. And so I I don't I think what an event does uh, this type of event does it often brings us to uh, together our commonality our our human reaction and 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 it's natural for us to want to support and and help and and be kind to each other after such a a, a, a significant event of this nature. Uh, are there, though, uh, if, uh, and as we say, this could manifest itself down the road, but maybe in the next week, the next couple of weeks, friends or family members or co-workers or what have you, um, again, I don't want to have you put on your clinician hat, but in your experience, are there, um, are, are there some, if you will, warning signs of people noticing behavior, uh, different things from friends and family that maybe isn't the norm being maybe caused by what happened on the weekend? Yeah, so, you know, what we're experiencing as a community and as a city um, is an abnormal event. We're not supposed to go out and have fun with our friends and our family and be in a safe neighborhood and worry about our safety. That is not usual. That is not okay. That is not normal. And so to regain and recover from that, you know, folks are going to have a variety of different reactions. You know, the 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 immediate reaction is to be you know feel feel worried, to have some anxiety, to have some physical stomach ache. You know, to you know, we all have different reactions. Um, our sense of security has been disrupted. Our way of of coping, um, you know, maybe disruptive sleep and 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 repeating what you've been been seeing. The closer you were to the event, if you had friends and family directly impacted, you know, that's going to heighten things. Uh, it does take us, you know, in, in most people a couple of days to sort of to have some of those uh, immediate reactions, you know, m- you know, 
dissipate a bit. Um, for someone who is fixated on the news, who for many days can't resume any sleep, who is afraid to go back at, to work or to go back uh, to the to the around the neighborhood to leave their home, those are the the indications that someone needs more help and, and is struggling and may need uh, to speak to a counselor or to speak to, um, to you know to to get additional support from a family doctor. Before we wrap up, let's talk about the other part of this is those that uh, were heroic, uh, the first responders that everybody's talking about that do such a great job on a daily basis and never get any praise. Uh, they're, they're the ones that had to handle this situation um, on Sunday night in Toronto. Uh, kind of a, a message for those uh, individuals because I know at some point they will probably start to decompress and think about what happened uh, because the adrenaline flows on Sunday night and they, they don't get a chance. But but how concerning is it that they aren't getting the help that they need because maybe they don't think they are? Right. Well, I mean, first of all, I would, I mean, I'll, I'll express my own deep appreciation for all those folks who responded just as good citizens and also for our first responders community. I mean, we all uh, are so deeply appreciative of all the efforts that they took and made during this crisis. Um, certainly, first responders are, you know, there, there's a lot of resources for them. There's a lot of training about how they can, how they can support each other as peers, and certainly there is specialized counseling available in their uh, in their workplace and through their EAP. You know, if if you you know you know we have sort of that um, resilience. They have uh, certainly in their job they're accustomed to being exposed to you know a, a heightened level of these situations, and um, and they are though. People and they are likely also to have, you know, the tipping point or one uh, situation that is just more deeply impact, impactful on their well-being, and and they they need um, one. We need to watch out for them if they're one of our loved ones or our friends, and two, their their workplace is watching out for them and encouraging them to seek support. So, my hope is that um, the folks that were involved in the incident uh, directly, the first responders and the the emergency personnel that they have taken the time out to take care of themselves, that they've used um, some of their training to um, help restore their wellness, and that they have the supports in place to um, help them uh, come back to work uh, uh, at a time in a, in a way that they can be at their, their optimum functioning level. Sometimes that means being off for a few days. Sometimes that means talking uh, amongst their their own group, and sometimes it means private counseling. So it's hard to tell what everyone needs, but um, being aware and looking at the full range and understanding each event is unique and each reaction to each event is unique. The toll-free, cry-free crisis support line, if anybody has any questions or has problems dealing with what's happened, not only in Toronto but the last little while, is one 844 751-2133. Barb Better, Vice President, Employee Support Solutions at Morneau Chappelle. Thank you for taking the time. I, I know that you and your staff are, are going to be busy, but that's what you're there for. Your staff does great work, and uh, hopefully we'll get through this together. Thank you for joining us. You're most welcome. 
Well, that's uh, that's the number again. one 751 2133 You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. A couple of days after the tragedy in Toronto on Danforth Avenue in Greektown. And uh, now more and more information, as you can expect, is starting to uh, filter out. Now, the parents of a gunman who killed the two and injured 13 others said their son suffered from severe mental health challenges. The shooter was identified by the investigators yesterday as 29-year-old Fazale Hussein. And with an update on uh, what's being said and what we've learned, here's Global News reporter Catherine McDonald. They are uh, expressing their deepest condolences to the victims of this tragedy uh, who are now suffering on account of their son's horrific actions. They say they are utterly devastated by this news. They say their son um, uh, had been suffering from severe mental health challenges. He was struggling with psychosis and depression his entire life. They say the interventions of professionals were unsuccessful. They tried medications and therapy, but it was unable to treat him. And they say while they did their best to seek help from throughout his life of struggle and pain they could never imagine that this would be his devastating and destructive ends now last night it was a somber mood at danforth avenue in the neighborhood around there as uh, people returned to the street to visit various makeshift memorials and attend prayer services she was smiling she was like the prettiest girl you could ever meet and it's just not fair that she died She was so nice to everyone. She was just so happy. It's really not fair for this time happened to her. That's one of the friends of 18-year-old Reese Fallon, also a 10-year-old girl who, as we heard on CHML News, has not been identified or the family does not want her name released as of yet. Now, also last night, uh, Toronto Mayor John Tory walked the area, said he can't imagine what the families and those who were traumatized by what they saw are going through. But I think it's the beginning of the healing. You know, it, the healing takes time, and it takes an effort, as we've seen, unfortunately, before, not too long ago. Um, but I think the community is showing every sign again that we're going to be resilient. The flowers were laid with candles and messages written in chalk, reading love for all and uh, hatred for none. Now, the mayor talked about being resilient, and we heard the story on CHML News this morning. Toronto police say Canada can no longer blame the U.S. for its gun problem. Police say they've noticed a stark shift in recent years in the source of guns used to commit crime. We talked about these numbers. Before 2012, 75% of the firearms trafficked from the U.S., a number that dropped to about 50% by last year. And licensed gun owners in Canada increasingly selling their weapons illegally, sometimes at a high profit margin. So there's a lot of questions about guns, how people get guns. The mayor yesterday saying, why does anybody in Toronto need a gun? I know that's an open-ended question, that's a broad question, but obviously there is uh, the criminal element that wants to have uh, guns uh, at their disposal and at their use. We will take a break and come back in a moment and go live to Greektown in Toronto for an update on what the scene is there uh, almost 48 hours after that horrific incident. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. We continue our conversation on the Bill Kelly Show. Ted Michaels in for Bill, uh, talking about uh, the situation in Toronto. And uh, you heard what John Tory said. Before we get to our guest, yesterday, Hamilton Mayor Fred Eisenberger tweeted, Hamilton stands shoulder to shoulder with you, hashtag Toronto, in the wake of this terrible tragedy on the uh, Danforth. Uh, the mayor yesterday on 
CHML News said he stands with Toronto Mayor John Tory in calling for more action on gun control. Tragic, shocking, uh, you know, dismayed. Uh, you know, we've had some gunplay on the Hamilton streets uh, previously, and we were fortunate that uh, no one was uh, seriously injured. But uh, in this case, people were killed, and uh, that's uh, that's a tragedy, no matter how you call it. Fred Eisenberger added it's a problem in all major cities across the country and needs a national concerted effort. Well, to talk about that is a guy who has been busy for the last few days. Uh, he is joining us from uh, Toronto, from Greektown on the Danforth. He's executive producer of 640 News and uh, Global News Radio in Toronto, Jason Chapman. Jason, uh, I'd say good morning to you. Is it a better morning now than it was yesterday? You know, Ted, it's a great question. Yeah, listen, uh, Danforth is back to normal um so it's a better morning i mean the shops are all open it's yeah uh, i i mean so many un- unanswered questions and two lives lost senselessly uh, but yeah today's a better day ted now i know that on your twitter account you posted some uh, social media posts this morning including uh, among the notes of uh, hashtag danforth strong there were a number of messages taking aim and this is a story that is now starting to uh, uh take shape and take legs as it were number of messages taking aim at the side effects of psychiatric medications and the lack of support for mental illness that i think is what now people are starting to focus their attention on by the the post that you put on your Twitter account, are people now starting to maybe get a little angry that maybe something wasn't done for this individual? Ted, i got to tell you, that is steps. So there's a restaurant being redone on the Danforth, and there's some of that uh, wood that they put up in front so that people can't see in. And so that's been covered with messages, covered with messages of love. And there's a Fred Rogers quote on there, uh, you know, alluding to, most of your neighbors are fantastic. And then, I mean, I was really surprised with the number. And that's, that's why I took the pictures and tweeted them out, though. Some of them read, guns are dangerous, but only psych drugs cause mass shootings. Read the side effects to the psych drugs. Violent ideation, here it was. And then somebody else, gun violence or a lack of mental health. And those were three, and there were Probably, I don't know, a dozen or so. Uh, and steps from where the shooting started on Sunday evening. So, yeah, there's all sorts of questions being asked. And if you do a simple Google search, you'll see there are all sorts of news articles that have been written suggesting that doctors are over-prescribing these drugs. It's a massive conversation. Yeah, that's uh, something, uh, a conversation going forward that uh, we do need to uh, talk about. You know, the other thing, and I, I heard an expert yesterday on Global News, and for the life of me, and I'm sorry, I cannot remember who this person was, but they were, boy, some someone's dog is really unhappy in the background. <laughs> Somebody went into a coffee shop and uh, the second cup, and so, you know, the separation anxiety yeah. kicks in. Yeah. Right. Uh, uh, this, this expert was saying the only real way and we're not going to get into the whole gun debate issue here, but the but it is a topic for discussion. The only way to really stop this is to maybe crack down and increase security on the borders to stop all these illegal guns from crossing the border. Maybe that's a generalization, but that seems to be where people should be, I think, and this expert saying, focusing as opposed to having, you know, it's great that the mayors want to talk about this, but they have to get to the root of the problem. And a lot of people think that's the root, is uh, increasing security at the the border well it's one route 
Uh, Toronto City Council is meeting today, and they'll try another route as well today, Ted. Uh, on the agenda today uh, is a suggestion from a couple of councillors that Toronto adopt a whole suite of new anti-gun violence initiatives. And these were introduced before Sunday evening shooting on the Danforth. They're calling these councillors, and we'll see if the full city council agrees with this today, uh, a call for $29 million in funding. Uh, that would be from the province and the feds, if I'm not mistaken, for community services, including programs for youth, employment for people who have been involved with gangs, so uh, getting it, making it easier for them to get into jobs, trauma and recovery mental health. Uh, and there is also a call for $15 million to support enhancement and enhanced surveillance initiatives. You tell me what that means, because I don't understand. I, I mean, I've literally tried to look that up. I, I suppose it's maybe more social workers working with it, maybe. So calls for more money. And then, Ted, I don't know if you know, last week the Toronto Police Services Board met. They're looking for $4 million to start a program that's used in a few cities in the state. And it's something called Shot Spotter. The police department would use the money to install microphones in different parts of the city that would detect the sound of gunshots. So aside from shutting down or finding a way to stop illegal guns from crossing the border, which... Not to, my goodness, how I, I, I'm, I'm 39. That debate, I believe, I first heard about when I was four. Mm-hmm. And now, but now also these other initiatives are all being talked about. So there's no shortage of talk. Uh, the debate also goes on. I mean, listen, the question that's being asked uh, yesterday, Faisal um, Hussein, the, the, the 29-year-old man who uh, was at the center of the attack on Sunday evening, his family released a statement and said that he has dealt with mental illness his entire life. This question being asked today, how did somebody like that have a handgun? Would legislation change that? I, these are all the questions you have to ask and are being asked. By the way, we got an email, and our email is open, uh, ted at 900chml.com. Uh, Elaine sent in an email, why don't we have licensed gun owners present their weapons that are licensed to them once a year? If they cannot present them, then they go to jail interesting concept i'm not sure it'll work but at least again it's opening up the uh conversation is it not Uh, i mean you know it is and i have no doubt whatsoever that law-abiding legal gun owners long gun or uh, other guns as well will you'll hear opposition to that right that i mean we hear it over and over again when the long gun registry came in to effect uh, there was absolute outrage in in rural alberta in uh Parts of the GTHA. I mean, there and then there were all sorts of people like uh, downtown Toronto City Council saying, "Yeah, yeah, no, go, 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 go." Uh, I mean, there's no consensus on this. Um, I will say this: in the New York Times, though, uh, there's a story written about this, and the point that they sort of focused on and remarked on is, yes, this happened in Toronto, but a handgun was used, not a semi-automatic rifle or automatic rifle. So Canada is still being pointed to by some American papers as an example of how gun laws work. Interesting. Uh, By the way, um, also a name that I know came up uh, in the past uh, that we've talked about in the past and now is uh, part of uh, the discussions. That's former Toronto Police Chief Bill Blair, uh, who is now, I guess, kind of uh, heading up the next um, committee to find out about gun violence, what have you. Uh, that That's a name that, as we say, not too far removed from Toronto. I think that's a great call myself. 
He's a former Toronto police chief here. He's now the uh, minister of, I believe it's border security and organized crime. That's not the exact title, but something like that. I mean, interesting to see Doug Ford, a staunch conservative and a sort of, I'll call him a polarizing figure, the premier of Ontario, but a former city councillor here and former uh, brother to former mayor Rob Ford. Interesting to see him, John Tory, the mayor of Toronto, and a liberal minister sit down together and not walk away from that meeting furious or name-calling, but saying, okay, what do we do? So I agree. I mean, Bill... Bill Blair comes with a ton of experience, and though he's a liberal cabinet minister now at the federal level, it, he's got too much street cred for anybody to just flat out dismiss him, right? I mean, a PC premier couldn't just say, no, no, you don't know what you're talking about. Of course he does. So I agree. It is a brilliant move. Um, I, again, what legislation will work and actually, actually keep guns off the street? There's your debate. And... Would it have prevented Sunday evening? Personally, just my opinion, I'm not so sure. By the way, as as we get into uh, another day, I, I know uh, life, at, and I don't want to use the term normal, but but I know that uh, things are slowly, uh, people are, they started to return yesterday and more people today. Um, are most of the businesses and uh, the yellow barricades that were up yesterday, I, is everything almost back to normal as far as everything being uh, reopened and traffic moving again through Greektown? So, I... I I'm going to tell you, Ted, I actually did a, a walk uh, from, uh, down the Danforth. So the shooting happened, and if you're familiar with it, it happened at an intersection and started at Logan and Danforth. And I'm about 350 meters away from where that first shot rang out. Um, it's a huge crime scene. It was a huge crime scene. The tape's down today. Everything is pretty much back to normal. Everything's open there's no, there are no police here. There's not a single officer that I've seen, and I've been out since six this morning. What's fascinating, I just, I just tweeted it out on my personal account. Uh, I sat down at a second cup coffee shop. The, the shooter started at Logan and Danforth and started to fire. And then he just walked all the way down to a, a Cafe Dimitra and fired shots into that restaurant. Then he stopped here at the second cup, fired shots into that restaurant. I sat down and there was a sign-up advertising some drink specials. It's not normally, I didn't realize it wasn't normally there. They just put it there. There are two bullet holes still in the glass and then through the wood partition where, you know, uh, basically you put your coffee on the inside. So, yeah, things are normal. But I couldn't, I'm not kidding when I say that. A resident, obviously, somebody else had taken a picture of this, put it on a local Facebook page, and then came up to me and said, hey, do you mind if I take a picture of what's behind that, that advertisement sitting right next to you. I said, I don't know what you're talking about. Then I looked, and I'm like, well, I need a picture now, too, because it is evidence of the horror that played out here. So, yeah, it's normal. There's people everywhere around me right now. But there's all sorts of evidence right now. So, uh, before we wrap up, I wanted to ask personally how you're doing. I, I mean, you talked yesterday about you lived nearby there. You've been to the Danforth area, been to a Greek town. Like all of us in the media, something like this happens. The adrenaline starts to flow. You get your job done. You go, 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 go. And at some point, you kind of sit to yourself and the adrenaline wears off and you think, oh, my God. From your standpoint, has that moment hit yet or are you still running on adrenaline? And, uh, I'll say this, Ted. I was on with uh, Kelly Katura on uh, Golden's Radio 640 Toronto yesterday. And, um, yeah, I live here. 
Uh, I've got a two-year-old daughter that I'm raising off, steps off the Danforth. Uh, I broke, I didn't expect to break down. I just sort of was like, what the heck is this? But today I actually, like I'm, I'm across the street from a playground full of kids right now. Uh, I watched this vigil unfold last night on the Danforth where lots of people came back. I feel, I'm just so sad that a 10-year-old and an 18-year-old, both of them girls for all intents and purposes, lost their lives. I, I'm, I don't know what happened to this guy who opened fire on Sunday night. I, I don't know what his family, if you read a bit of a story about his family, they have one messed up family. What I'm thrilled to see, pal, is that the Danforth is back and open and people are on it. I, I know it sounds cliche. I know it sounds maybe stupid to some people, but this is the city I want to raise my daughter in, man. This is where I want to interact with all sorts of people. A guy actually was just coming up to me right now asking for a light on a cigarette. <laughs> I love that about this city. I want it the way it is and call me cliche and call me a downtown elitist, leftist, whatever you want. I'm feeling better seeing all this today, man. Excellent. Jason, try to get some rest and enjoy your family. And, uh, you know, we, we, we had the expert off the top. It's okay for you to tell your boss, you know what, I need a day or two just to kind of get over this. Uh, try to have a better day than yesterday. It sounds like you are. We'll continue to watch for the pictures on Twitter. And um, continued uh, strength to you and everybody down there in Toronto. And, again, thanks for uh, joining us this morning. Much appreciated. Okay, Ted. Thank you. A pleasure. That's uh, Jason Chapman, executive producer at 640 Global News in Toronto. Uh, you can hear the emotion in his voice. Um, a guy who lives near there and saw what happened, and it's just absolutely horrific. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. You ever wonder how your friends can afford their lavish lifestyle? You creep them on Facebook. You're not alone. You think to yourself... How are they affording that house? How are they affording that car? How are they doing this and that? Well, uh, investment firm Edward Jones uh, put out uh, a very interesting survey. And to talk about that, if you will, a nice play on words on keeping up with the Joneses, is Paul Ignatiak uh, from BDO Debt Solutions in uh, Hamilton slash Stony Creek. Happy summer. How are you? Oh, it's been a great summer. Weather has been great lately, hasn't it? Um, are you a golfer? Do you go outside much and do I, it? I do. I, I am a golfer, and actually my son is starting to take up golfing, so it's, it's good father-son time as oh, well. Oh, excellent. Okay, so let's talk about this survey. Uh, 61% of Canadians often look to their friends and wonder how they can afford their lifestyles. I don't know if it's envy, jealousy, what have you, but are you surprised by that number, 61%? I'm mildly surprised about it, but however, it's also the grass is always greener mentality that right. people do have as well. They see on the outside, they see someone driving up in that nice new car who lives right beside them. They want that as well, but they don't know what's going on inside their house. They don't know what's going on with their finances. They don't know if they're struggling. They don't know if they're successful as well. People put a good show in public as well, and that's what we're finding. Isn't that interesting that, oh yeah, look at me, but as you say, inside, they could, not that there's anything wrong with beans and wieners but they could be eating less than what the normal people are their I shouldn't say normal average people or their neighbors are doing because it's all exterior and show and inside as you say people don't know well and we find that individuals all the time they they hide their finances so we don't even know if that person's receiving collection calls inside if they're maxed out their credit cards to you know enjoy their lifestyle they have right now and 
as a licensed insolvency trustee, I see that all the time. People want to put up the good show for their neighbours. They want to show their family that they're doing well. They don't want to admit that they're having financial problems. Interesting. 93 per, Boy, this is high. 93% experience buyer's remorse and admit to regrettable spending habits. I know you're of Eastern European background, as am I, and it was kind of ingrained in us that if you don't have the money, don't spend it. Uh, that number, 93%, leads me to wonder, are people not... And simple word, are they not budgeting as much as maybe they should be? Well, we find here in Ontario, I think the number is 47% of people in Ontario don't have a budget. Wow. And that is an alarming number. That's part of the shocking part of this poll here is that people don't have their finances in order. The poll shows us that people know they need to have their finances in order. However, they don't know how to get them done. Millennials, we talk about them. 96% most likely to regret spending habits. Is that the type of thing? And this is a broad statement for millennials where they got to have it. They got to have it now. They got to have that big house and we'll worry about it later. You know, it's not just millennials. And I think it's it's uh, looking at millennials. It was, you know, when I was younger as well, it was Generation X was the same way. You know, they wanted everything now. It was the now generation, the me generation. It was when the internet was starting to come up. With millennials now, it's far more advanced. You know, they have their iPhones Tap technology, you know, that is leading to a lot of uh, regret we're seeing with individuals. It's so easy to purchase something in a store right now. You see a dress, you see some shoes, you know, tap your card against, uh, you know, checkout and you're done. It's that simple. And you don't even have to think about it. And then people get home and they start thinking about it. They start seeing their bills. They start seeing how much money they have left for food, for utilities, and their regret starts creeping in. It's interesting. This poll also showed that, uh, and you talk about shoes, um, the most tangible purchases most regretted are clothing, shoes, 35%, jewelry, 28%, and electronics, 26%. I know, and you talk about shoes, uh, there are some people who, when you go in their closet, three quarters of it are devoted to shoes and the rest for other things that people wear. I'm not going to be, you know, point, point the finger here, but it seems a lot of women, don't get mad at me for saying this, they go and they buy the impulse shoes and then afterwards they think to themselves, why did I do this? Oh, I, I personally can uh, attest to the, uh, the the shoe issue at times, and <laughs> I'm sure I'll uh, get shooed away when I get home uh-huh. uh, this evening now. However, you, you look at the regrets that they're having, and a lot of it is peer pressure purchases as well. You know, the millennials are going out, they're buying the shoes, they're buying the jewelry, they're buying the electronics. Well, when's most of this buying happen? When they're out with their friends as well. So one friend might be purchasing a good. Now everyone wants to have that as well. So this is where we're finding there's a lot of regret when there's peer pressure involved. And then the other regret, much like at Christmas time, when the visa bill comes in the next month and they see the statement and they, ooh, I shouldn't have done that. And then a lot of people we've talked about in the past don't check the, if you make a minimum payment and you've got X number of thousands of dollars for example, on your visa card. If you make the minimum payment, you'll be paying this off until, I don't know, 15, 20 years from now. And I'm still surprised that people don't realize that that's part of what they're doing. Well, they don't look at the interest rate. They don't look at the minimum payments. Well, they look at the minimum payments because they know this is what the minimum amount I have to pay this month. When they try and budget, they look at the minimums first, but they don't look at the long-term impacts, the interest rates. What is this going to cost me? You're right. Some of these credit cards are never-never plans as well. When you're paying 30% interest, you're not going to get out of that hole once you get into it. 
We talked about this number uh, off the top before we got on the air. Canadians believe they should have their finances in order between the age of 18 and 34, yet only 38% in that age group have a financial strategy and follow it. I have been a big proponent, nobody listens to me, in high school, they should have financial planning classes for everybody, not just a select few or whatever. And I know that BDO does go into schools and talks about debt and what have you. Uh, like 18-year-olds don't know about this, but perhaps they should because it's a big life lesson going forward. It is true. When I spoke at Brock University to high school students who were getting ready to go into university, out of almost four or 500, I believe only two or three actually had a budget. These are individuals that are going to be going to university, post-secondary education, and they don't even know yet where they're going to be spending their money or how they're going to be spending their money as well. So two or three out of 400. That's correct, yes. Did the rest of them all look like you gave you the hairy eyeball look? Like we have no idea what we're talking well, about? I don't think they were prepared. Again, you're saying it goes back to high school. Here they're getting ready to go into university, and they weren't prepared back in high school as well. Um, back in university, you go to university, now they're going to get bombarded. They're of age. They can get credit cards. The credit card companies are going to be out there. They don't know how to spend their money properly. And we find that individuals in school, this is where they get in trouble. And then, um, as you say, if, if they're living first year in res or whatever, meal plan, but people don't understand you know, that there is a payback, so to speak, in here. And, uh, yeah, it's very easy to slap stuff down and go out, as you say, go out with your friends and what have you. But uh, uh, so the first year... Never mind all the pressure of being away from home and trying to keep your grades up. There's the financial pressure as well. And I'm glad that BDO is is talking to students going into university because this clearly is something that's needed. We're talking to students. We're also talking to families as well. Uh, we have an excellent program coming out, an EAP program. We're working with uh, unions as well at this time. We're trying to get financial literacy right across the board. We're trying to make sure that Canadians, the four, you know, the, only the 47% that have the budget, you know, they're on the right track. But what about the rest of the Canadians? You know, I sat down with a company once and I said, you have about 50,000 employees. Well, you look at the numbers here in Ontario, and 47%, you know, budget. So over half of your employees don't have a budget. Now, that should be a concern for any employer, uh, any EAP program as well, is when half the workers out there are don't know where their paycheck's going. Let's talk about the other part of this, uh, having had two daughters both graduating um, and dealing with this issue, and that's the issue of, of OSAP. It's great that people can avail themselves of it and apply for OSAP and pay for their education, and that's all fine. But then, as we say, the payback comes when all of a sudden they graduate. Maybe they're not working full-time yet, and now OSAP is saying, you have to start paying us back because the interest rates are not like a line of credit at 2 or 3%. Talk about that, and is that something that a lot of people don't know about? A lot of people don't know when they leave school what to do with respect to their student loans. The government is there to help. They were there to help you get the loan. They're giving you the money to get your education, and they're help you when you leave school as well. A lot of people don't realize that the government has interest-free programs as well. They have the ability, if they're not working as well, to defer payments. However, you have to work with the government. Where we see people get in trouble all the time is when they come out of school, they don't have a job, they have to start paying their student loans, and they ignore the phone calls. And they ignore, you know, 
advice of what to do, and they let it get to collections. And once it gets to collections, that's when it becomes more difficult. If you're upfront and you deal with the government, they have those programs. And I encourage everyone to explore the government's website. If you're a student now, if you're considering being a student, or if you're out of school right now and you're in financial difficulty and don't know where to go, check out the government's website for student loans. They can help as well. This tells me that part of, uh, of your practice, of course, your debt solutions and solvency manager, um, a lot of people think that they deal with couples maybe who've been married 15, 20 years and have the big house and what have you. But student debt is something that I think we're just scratching the, the sur- surface of. And you've, you've kind of touched on this already, that a lot of information isn't out there unless people know about this stuff in advance. That's right. They need to do their research. Education is the key. Knowledge is the key as well. So the more you know about your financial situation, uh, the better you're prepared to you know, experience those unexpected life events. So for, from a student standpoint, um, you're suggesting that they should sit down, maybe with their parents or what have you, especially if they're going away to school year one, uh, sit down and make a budget. Say, this is what you're going to be spending for rent and for, uh, for texts and for tuition and for food. Is that a, a, a kind of a simple way to get started so they know basically that they won't be getting into some sort of financial difficulty? Simple way to do that is start in grade nine. Don't do it in grade 12 when your child is ready to go to university. You know, they're going to be bombarded with a lot of other things at that time. They're going to be preparing as well. You start back in grade 9 when they're getting back into high school. What are their interests? What do they want to do? This is the time they're starting to explore when they get into high school. They're exploring what other career options are out there as well. They're going to explore what other universities are. Now is the time to sit down and talk to them. Listen. You're going to be going to school. It's going to be costly. This is how much everything costs. This is how much it's going to cost you. So it's starting to plan. As well, when you're in grade 9 and 10, that's when you're going to start your first job soon as well. You know, it might be a summer job. It might be an, a weekend job as well. But they're going to start getting some money coming in as well. So now's the time to start teaching them how to spend that money properly, how to save properly as well. Is there embarrassment from uh, university students that you've dealt with that have, you know, saying, geez, I'm still young, I'm, you know, 22 and I've graduated and I'm already in debt that I can't handle? Uh, do you find that uh, it's tough enough for, for people to, to make that first step anyway, but when they're of university age and they're graduating, do you find that there's even more reticence from people that age group to talk to you? Well, I find it's the individuals that have not, Uh, found a job within the career that they got their education for. Those individuals, that's where they're already upset. You know, they're still out there. They're struggling. They went to school. They obtained their diploma. They obtained their degree. However, they weren't able to get a job in their field. And that's where, you know, you get sometimes you get a bit of regret as well. Do we regret that I took that course? Do I regret that? But they should build it on as a positive. You know, now is a time you're still young. You're 22 years old. You're coming out of school. Yes, you might be in financial difficulty right now, but now's time if we get a financial plan in place. By the time you're in your 30s, you're going to be ready. You want to buy a home. You want to buy a car in your 30s. Now's the time to start planning. So tackling that debt at an early age, there shouldn't be any embarrassment about it. Before we do wrap up, our guest Paul Ignatiuk from BDO Debt Solutions. Uh, talk about what your your company offers. If somebody's listening, going, okay, mea culpa, hand up. We're kind of in a, a situation here that we didn't plan. Uh, take us through what you do for them when they come to your office. Yeah, BDO Debt Help Solutions, we meet with individuals on a daily basis uh, right across the country. However, I specialize here in Hamilton, Niagara area. We sit down with people who are experiencing financial difficulties. 
whether it's as simple as budgeting or someone's getting, you know, collection calls. We help people get out of financial problems. We refer people to the right places. We want to make sure that people control their future and move on to the next step. When people hear the word bankruptcy, they their eyes get big. They get really nervous, really scared. Talk about that because it's not quite as bad as maybe people think it is. It's the well, it's the B word people refer to a lot of times. However, people view bankruptcy as their last resort. I sometimes tell individuals it's your best option. The government enacted the Bankruptcy Insolvency Act to allow an individual, an honest individual, to move on with their lives. You know, the government understands that things happen in life, unexpected life events as well. Sometimes people have to go bankrupt. You don't always lose all your assets. And that's one of the, you know, myths about bankruptcy as well. So when we meet with individuals, we go over bankruptcy, we go, how bankruptcy would affect them. But we also explore other options such as consumer proposals, debt management plans, and as simple as a budget as well. Fascinating look at uh, basically people stop looking at your neighbor. Just worry about yourself and your family. Paul Ignatiak from BDO Debt Solutions. Thank you for the update. Uh, I actually had to smile because when you talked about people graduating and, you know, taking the courses that they shouldn't have taken, I was kind of thinking to myself, well, you're kind of looking at me. It's kind of a waste of time. Anyway, uh, thanks for this. Have a great summer, and we'll talk again in the Excellent. fall. Excellent. Thanks. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML.